Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 9, 10 and 11 of The Maze Runner. Where we left off, Thomas got a brief tour of the Glade, capital G, but it got interrupted when the box started coming up and a girl was dead. But no, she wasn't dead. She was alive. But they all want to want to bang her. Even though at the time, I think they thought she was dead and they were like, I got dibs. Anyway, she's not dead, but she is the last person who will be getting brought up in the box. What a weird plot this is. When you put it out like that, it's just like, what is going on? So we start chapter nine. And so Newt has just read out the message that she was holding, that she's the last one ever. And so everyone's just standing around awkwardly, just confused. And it says, Thomas would have expected shouts and questions, arguments, but no one said a word. Why would he have expected that? He's lost his memory. He has no like history to to draw that conclusion off of. So they're all just standing around watching this girl who's not dead, but she is asleep. They're watching her breathe. And Newt stood up and Thomas is like, oh, this will be good. Newt's going to say what's going on. But Newt doesn't say anything. He just crumples up the note. And so Thomas's heart sank. He wasn't sure why, but the situation made him very uneasy. What, what do you mean? You're not sure why the situation makes you uneasy. It's, it's a completely uneasy situation. There's a note saying that she's the last one ever, which is like really confronting. And he's like, I don't know why, but I've got a suspicion that I'm uneasy. <laughs> and so then Albie's like, Med Jacks, we need the Med Jacks over here. And Thomas wondered what the word meant. He knew he'd heard it before. What? Like, I don't think it's that hard to decipher medjacks. You know, some things like clunk and shank, yeah, they're not immediately obvious. But medjacks, it sounds like someone saying medics, but with an accent. Medics, medjacks. You'd think you'd figure that one out. So then the two medjacks are rushing over and they're older boys. And one was tall with a buzz cut and his nose the size of a fat lemon. A fat lemon? The other guy had a potato nose and now someone's got a fat lemon nose. There's a lot of big nosed boys in this glade. I'm starting to think that like, if you get stung by a griever, the number one symptom is a big giant nose. And so one of the med jacks, he says, what are we doing with her? And so Albie goes, how should I know? You two shanks are the med jacks, figure it out. And he goes, oh, med jacks. Oh, I, oh they must be the closest thing they have to doctors. Oh my God. 
Yeah, they weren't calling for mechanics to come and fix the girl up. They were calling for doctors. Like, of course. And so one of the med jacks goes to, like, take her pulse and, like, check her breathing. And someone yells out, who said Clint had first shot at her? I'm next. And then everyone laughs. There's several barks of laughter. I don't think that's funny. And Thomas, at least, says, "Ugh, how can they joke around? The girl's half dead. He felt sick inside. Like, I mean, you should probably feel a bit gross because of the lack of consent, as well as her being half dead. But at least he's grossed out by it. So that's, that's a plus in Thomas's column, because I tell you what, there's not been a lot of pluses for that guy lately. And Albie, he says, if any of you guys touch this girl, you're going to spend the night sleeping with the grievers. So that's good. So he says, ain't nobody better touch her. Nobody. So thank God Albie's stepping up to stop the, I guess, gang rape that we were heading towards. What a bizarre book. And Thomas is like, oh, thank God for Albie. And he says it was the first time Thomas had actually liked hearing something come out of Albie's mouth. Wait, what? Why does he hate Albie so much? Like, I don't think Albie's been that bad, has he? He's not his rival potato nose. I think Albie's been quite reasonable, but here he is shading Albie. So then the other medjack says, she seems fine. <laughs> oh, does she? Oh, she seems fine. Where did this medjack get his accreditation? I'm starting to suspect that they might not be actual doctors, considering they're also boys that just came out of the box randomly and presumably lost all memory of, you know, how to be a medic, if they even were medics in their other life. So I don't know what qualifications they have, but he's like, yeah, she seems fine. Breathing okay, normal heartbeat. That's a bit slow. Um, I'd say she's in a coma. (laughs) So, okay, she seems fine, but she's in a coma. Well, that doesn't sound that fine. I mean, she could be asleep, but you're like, yeah, she's in a coma, but she's fine. And he remembers what a coma is, so that's something. So he watches her get carried away and he's thinking, oh, do you know what? She does seem a little bit familiar. It's super weird. But yeah, she seems familiar. What more can I say? And then he's worried that everyone else is going to figure out that she's familiar to him. And he's like, oh shit, I'm going to be found out. And Newt tells the Medjacks that there must be something special about her or they wouldn't have sent her here. And Thomas is like, oh God, yep, I'm special too. So there must be some connection between us. They'd come a day apart. She seemed familiar. He had a consuming urge to become a runner despite learning so many terrible things. What did it all mean? Maybe just ignore the urge to become a runner if you're that worried about it. And so Albie says to the Medjacks, put her in the homestead next to Ben. Keep an eye on her. If something happens, if she even talks in her sleep or does a clunk in her sleep, you come and tell me. So then after she gets carried off, all the other gladers, we're calling them gladers now. They're all abuzz, just chitting and chattering about what's going on. But Thomas watched in mute contemplation because of this strange connection that he felt. James Dashness really, really fucking hammering at home that there's a strange connection and a familiarity there, isn't he? And then Albie walks over and he goes, listen, Shank, you ain't never seen her before, huh? Well, he actually just says, you ain't never seen her before. But I like to think that they always say, listen, Shank, you see? And he's like, nah, I don't remember her. But he's lying because he's sort of thinking, maybe I do remember her, even though he doesn't. And then he goes, why are you grilling me like this? And Albie says, something's whacked. Call a gathering, proper noun, capital G. So a gathering, I guess, is just the glader term for a meeting. I don't know why you can't just say meeting. And he said that to Newt, not to Thomas, even though Thomas heard it, but he's like, 
Wait, is he telling me to call a meeting? I don't know these people. I don't know how to call a gathering. So then Newt and Albie walk off and then Chuck comes over. I thought they were all in a huddle, but apparently not. So Chuck comes over and he says, hey, Chuck, what's a gathering? And Chuck says, it's when the keepers, proper noun, capital K, meet. They only call one when something weird or terrible happens. How often's that, I wonder? And Thomas is like, well, I guess that that's fitting. Um, I didn't finish my breakfast. Can we go get something somewhere? I'm starving. And I'm thinking that's kind of a psychotic reaction to what just happened. And Chuck says that he goes, uh, seeing that chick wig out made you hungry. You must be more psycho than I thought. And Thomas sighed and he says, just get me some food. He thinks Chuck is so annoying when Chuck just seems lighthearted and lovely. So they go to the kitchen in the homestead, I guess. And Chuck's like, come on, we've got to be quick. We don't want Frypan to come and see us. Frypan hates when we raid his fridge. We're hearing a lot about Frypan, but we're never seeing Frypan. I thought we would have stumbled across Frypan now that we're in the kitchen where the Frypans live, but no, we haven't seen Frypan and they're just stealing food. I don't know how this society is working because if you're, if you're all going behind Frypan's back and stealing food, the society will crumble and it will collapse. And so Thomas, he's like, well, this is crazy. How can this be for real? Somebody sent us here, somebody evil. And Chuck's like, ah, just shut up and don't even think about it. Just accept it and don't think about it. Which is kind of weird that you would not think about it, Chuck. Like Chuck's only been here a month and he's already like climatized to it. He's used to it. He's not even curious about the setup. It's like you're in the middle of a maze. Why would that not be what you're thinking about like constantly? But Chuck's just like, whatever, it is what it is. And Thomas says, well, where does the electricity come from? Do you know that? And Chuck says, who cares? I'll take it. And Thomas thinks, what a surprise, no answer. Well, I mean, he answered you. He, well, he responded at least. But also again, he's been here a month before you. I don't know if he should be expected to know how electricity works. Chuck isn't the architect of this maze. I think he got a step off his neck. So then Chuck brings over two plates of sandwiches with carrots over to the table. Now I'm like, is that a carrot sandwich or is it sandwiches and then carrots on the side? And we don't know. They said the bread was thick and white. The carrots are sparkling bright orange, but, but we never get told what's on the sandwich. So I'm starting to suspect that they're eating carrot sandwiches, which is crazy. Crazy. That's the craziest thing about this maze. They're just going to sit and eat carrot sandwiches? Carrot sandwiches? Is that a thing? But it hits the spot. Thomas is like, oh God, I was famished. This is so good. He says, oh man, well, at least the food is good. The food is good. You're eating carrots and bread. Are you only saying it's good because you don't remember ravioli? You don't remember pizza? Maybe if you forget that pizza exists, you would be stoked with a carrot sandwich, but I don't know, but he's going on and on about this carrot sandwich like it's the best thing he's ever had in his whole entire life. So after his last bite, Thomas sat back in his chair and he says, so Chuck, what do I have to do to become a runner? Again, Chuck's not the president of the Glade. And Chuck says, oh, not this again. And then he lets out a low gurgly burp that made Thomas cringe. Oh, Thomas doesn't remember much, but he remembers his manners. And he says, all right, well, I'm going to do my trial run with all the different keepers, but when do I get a shot with the runners? And the narrator says, Thomas waited patiently to get some sort of actual information from Chuck. We're putting a lot of pressure on Chuck. And Chuck's like, "Ugh, they should be back in a few hours. Why don't you just go and ask them? And Thomas ignored the sarcasm. 
Thomas hates Chuck. I know he's always like, oh, he's my best friend, but he hates him. And he says, well, what do they do when they get back every night? What's up with that concrete building? And he says, maps. They meet right when they get back before they forget anything. And Thomas is like, maps? That's crazy. And it's like, what? They're they're charting a way out of the maze. Of course they're going to use maps. And he says, well, if they're trying to make a map, why don't they just bring paper? So while they're out there, they can like draw the map. And Chuck's like, oh my God. They spend most of their time running, not riding. That's why they're called runners. I mean, you probably could still carry a pen and paper, even if you are a runner. You don't have to be called a writer just to to enable yourself to write. I'm sure the medjacks can do other things. And Thomas is like, this is crazy. Could the maze really be so massively huge that even after two years, they still hadn't found a way out? It seems impossible. And I'm like, mate, you've seen the walls move. And then he goes, oh, but then he remembered what Albie said about the moving walls. And it's like, how do you not remember that? You were gobsmacked. You saw it with your own eyes. Like last night and this morning. And then he has a theory that maybe they're all criminals and that they're actually in a prison and that they're all murderers on the outside world. And Chuck's like, I'm like 12. I don't think I murdered people. Which, I mean, isn't the best logic. There's been child murderers out there. I'm sure of it. I always thought the brother killed John Benet Ramsey. There I said it. There I said it. Allegedly. Allegedly. But yeah, child murderers, they do exist, Chuck. You could be one of them. And Thomas says, I don't care what you did or didn't do. Either way, you have been sent to a prison. Does this seem like a vacation to you? So Thomas is like, I don't care who you murdered. I just want to get to the point of the matter. And Chuck's about to say, I don't know, it's better than, and he cuts him off. And he says, yeah, better than living in a pile of clunk. And then Thomas gets up and he storms off. And the narrator says he liked Chuck, but trying to have an intelligent conversation with him was impossible, not to mention frustrating and irritating. And so he says, go make yourself another sandwich. I'm going exploring. I don't know if Thomas has the authority to just allow people to go and take bread and carrots, but he's like, go make yourself a sandwich. I'm leaving because you're so annoying. And Chuck's probably thinking, geez, Louise, what's gotten up his butt? So he walks back out. And so then everyone's just wandering around the glade back to business as usual. And he thinks because he had his tour cut short, he's going to go and walk around and suss out the place. So he heads to the northeast corner where there's all the farming crap. And he looks over at some boys who are doing some weeding and one of them smiles back. And he's like, wow, a smile, an actual smile. And he thinks maybe this place won't be so bad after all. Not everyone here could be a jerk. Okay, Chuck just made him a sandwich, but he thinks everyone's a jerk. And, and, and like this, all this guy did was just wave and smile. And he's like, wow, I love the Glade. And it's like, you just thought it was a prison. Don't you want to escape still? Like, who cares if people are smiling? And so then he goes to the southeast corner and that's where the cows, the goats, the sheep, the pigs, they all hang out. And then he's like, oh, no horses. Ugh, that sucks. Riders would be faster than runners. Okay, do you really think a horse can navigate that maze with all the moving walls and the grievers? Like, what? What? And as he approached the animals, he figured he must have dealt with animals in his life before the glade because their smell, their sound seemed very familiar to him. Oh, this again. Like you have some memories, but you just don't have all memories. So you just remember that pigs exist. That doesn't mean that you used to work with pigs. So then he goes to the Southwest quarter near the forest. We're getting all the directions. 
So he's going into the trees and that's when he notices one of those little beetle blade thingies, a little robotic silver little rat thing. And written on the back of the beetle blade in large green letters is the word wicked. So my mind immediately goes to Alphaba and Glinda the Good and, you know, the Wizard of Oz. So I don't really know what Link is there, but he's like, I'm intrigued. So the beetle blade goes further into the forest and he follows it. And that's the end of the chapter. So we start chapter 10, he's in the forest and it's like dark now because the forest is so dense. And so moving as fast as he could, he's like racing after the beetle blade that's a fan of Wicked and branches are slapping into his face. He's getting hit by trees. I mean, that's hilarious. So he's about 30 or 40 feet into the woods and then the beetle blade jumps up onto a large tree. And by the time that Thomas gets to the tree, all sign of the creature had vanished. And he goes, ah, shuck it. And then he's like, look at me saying shuck. I'm already morphing into a glader. Seriously, glader? Could we not have thought of a better term for them than glader? And then he hears a twig snap from nearby and he's like, what? Is someone there? And then he hears another snap and he's like, who's there? But no one's answering him. And so then he's like, rut row. And then without really thinking it through, Thomas headed toward the noise that he'd heard. Why would he, why would he do that? Remember last week when he said he thought of himself as a smart person? Now he's here in like an ominous twig snap in the forest and he's like, I'm just going to go walk up to it. What? What? Thomas, you're in a creepy forest. And it's so dark and he's like, oh, I wish I had a flashlight. And then he's like, oh my God, flashlights. And it says, once again, he remembered a tangible thing from his past, but couldn't assign it to any specific time or place. Couldn't associate it with any other person or event. Okay, do you really need to assign a flashlight to a, a, to a person or an event? Isn't that just one of the things that you just know exists? Like you did with pigs and horses and all of that? And so then he's like, anybody there? Anybody there? It's me, Thomas, the new guy. Well, second newest guy. I don't know why he's trying to do a tight five comedy routine right now. I'm the second newest guy. Like far out. Obviously it's someone trying to kill you. I don't think it's a friendly person hiding in the forest, ignoring you, but also scaring you. And so then while he's wandering, he reached the graveyard and he's like, oh, this is spooky. And he's like, oh God, I'm so spooked. An icy shiver ran down his back and he's like, well, I better go and read all the graves. So he's looking at the grave marking for someone called Stephen and he's thinking, Stephen, what's your story? Chuck annoy you to death? Like, oh my God, do you hate Chuck that much that you think that he annoyed someone to death? It's not very fair to Chuck. He made you a carrot sandwich. And so then he goes to another grave and it's like overgrown with weeds and he's like, oh, they must've been here a while. And then he sees that there are a dozen or so graves. A couple were fresh some not so fresh. And then he sees a silvery glint catch his eye. And he's like, oh, that's not the scuttling beetle that had led me to the forest earlier, but it is weird. So he moves through the graveyard and he finds a grave covered with a sheet of grimy plastic or glass. And so then he's squinting, trying to figure out what's going on. And then he realizes it was a window into another grave, one that had the dusty remnants of a rotting body. And well, I'll be damned. It's that guy with half the bones that was dropped down into the box. And then they recovered half the bones somehow after like he got cut in half by a knife. I, I don't really understand what happened in that box. So he's completely creeped out, but then he's so curious. He's also just leaning forward to get a better look. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. God, this stupid Thomas. And he says, yep, it's just the top half of the deceased person inside. And he remembers Chuck's story. And I, I totally thought they were bullshitting. But here it is, there are the bones. And there's also an inscription etched into the glass. Well, that's why it's hard to see through the glass because there's an inscription on it. Okay, well, oh, well, so the inscription says, let this half shank be a warning to all. You can't escape through the box hole. You know what? I, I'm back on a conspiracy theory. I think that was there before any of the other boys got there and they just went with it. I think they can escape through the box hole and that's a fake skeleton. Why would they, why would they put a window up and an inscription to remind each other of this fact? Like if, if you saw him go down the hole and get cut in half and then get dragged out of the hole, you'd remember. I don't think you'd need the visual cue. I'm still not buying it. And then, so Thomas read that. And he'd just seen half the skeleton and he had the urge to snicker because it seemed too ridiculous to be true. But then he was also disgusted with himself for being so shallow and glib. And he's like, oh, I've got to shake that. So then he just goes to read more graves. It's a bit morbid, Thomas. And then he hears another snap. (gasps) He forgot about the snap. And he's like, ah, who's out there? And he goes, seriously, this is stupid. It's me, Thomas, the shank. So instead of answering, the person gave up all pretense of stealth and started running, crashing through the forest, circling towards the spot where Thomas stood. So then Thomas catches a glimpse of a skinny boy limping along in a strange little run. And he's like, who the hell is that? And then the boy bursts through the trees and he sees a flash of pale skin and enormous eyes. The figure leaps into the air and is now on top of him, gripping him with strong hands. And so he's trying to push and swat away at the attacker. 
and he heard teeth snapping open and closed, a horrific clack, clack, clack. And so then the guy's biting into Thomas's shoulder. I think it's a zombie. (laughs) I really think it is a zombie. It's about time this book got spiced up with a little bit of zombie action. So now Thomas has been bitten by a zombie and he's like, ah. And so then he pushes the guy off him and the guy falls off of him right onto a grave marker, which has got to hurt. And so then he squirms away and he looks at the attacker and he goes, oh my God, it was the sick boy. It was Ben. Now remember, Ben was that guy at the homestead that had gone all green because he got bitten by a griever. And so I assume he has a giant big potato nose or a lemon nose or a lime nose or a kiwi fruit nose. He's got a nose resembling fruit probably because of it, but that's the end of the chapter. Hopefully we'll find out next chapter. So let's go to the next chapter. So we start chapter 11. It says, it looked as if Ben had recovered only slightly since Thomas had seen him in the homestead. Okay, I, I, I think he's recovered a bit more than that considering he's up and running around a forest. Last time you saw him, he was bed bound. He was squealing, he was writhing in agony. And now he's up and about and apparently he's only slightly recovered. That's a high standard for recovery. So then Ben's springing to attack him again. And now he's got a knife. I don't know where the knife came from, but now he's got a knife. And then someone shouts out, Ben, and it's Albie. And so Albie's running towards them. And he's like, Ben, stop right now or you ain't gonna see tomorrow. And so Thomas, you'd think he'd be a bit more shocked and out of it, but he's just looking at Ben thinking, what's going on with him? What could possibly be wrong with that kid? The boy had turned into a monster. Why is that? I'd be more like, holy fuck, what the hell's going on? Get him off of me. He's got a knife. He just tried to kill me. Albie, come and stop this. But he's so inquisitive. He's like, oh, wonder, wonder where this is coming from. And so then Ben says to Albie, if you kill me, you'll get the wrong guy. He's the shank you want to kill. And he points at Thomas. So he's obviously had a vision. Remember how that other potato knows? He said that he had a vision when he got turned or bitten by a graver or some bullshit and it was about Thomas. He saw Thomas. Anyway, so the same thing's obviously happened. I don't know why yet Thomas can't quite figure out what's going on, but that's what's happened here. And Albie says, don't be stupid, Ben. Thomas just got here. Ain't nothing to worry about. You're still bugging from the change in proper noun capital C. You should have never left your bed. And Ben says, he's not one of us. I saw him. He's, he's bad. We have to kill him. Let me gut him. And you know what? I'm on Ben's side. I kind of trust Ben. There's something about him that just makes me trust him, you know? And I do think Thomas is the villain. Are you guys getting that? You're getting that vibe that Thomas is the bad guy? I'm getting it. And so Albie says, you leave that to me and the keepers to figure out, shuck face. I don't know why you're going to insult the guy with a knife. That doesn't seem like a good negotiating tactic. You're not going to talk him off the ledge when you're calling him a shuck face. And Albie says, right now, back your scrawny butt down and get to the homestead, proper noun, capital H. Again, I wouldn't be making fun of his scrawny butt. I'd be doing the whole, I hear you. I value you. You are being heard right now, but just take it down a notch. I wouldn't be all like, hey, you skinny little bitch boy. You need to get back to the homestead, you bloody shuck. And then Ben says, he'll want to take us home. He'll want to get us out of the maze. Better we all jumped off the cliff. Better we tore each other's guts out. And so, okay, so Ben wants to stay in the glade. He doesn't want to escape the maze. And he's worried that Thomas wants to escape the maze. Is that not the point of the runners? All right, interesting. I'm a little bit intrigued. And Thomas, inquisitive Thomas says, 
Can you expand on that? What are you actually referring to there? And Ben says, shut your face. Shut your ugly traitorous face. Okay, you don't need to call him ugly. And so then Albie, he's doing the I'm going to count to three thing. You know how everyone's parents used to do that? And they go one, two, and then you do it. You'd never let them say three. But also their pauses would get longer and longer. They'd be like, one, I mean it. I'm, I'm going to say two. I'm going to say it soon. Okay, two. And then they'd be like, okay, three's coming up next. So what was that? Okay, okay, uh-huh. I mean it. I'm going to, okay, through, through, through. And they'd just like really try and stretch it out because you realize looking back on it, they had no fucking plan. They weren't going to do anything if they ever got to three. That's why they never got to three. We were fooled. But you know what? Albie wasn't messing around. So (laughs) Ben's ignoring Albie with the countdown very brazenly. He's just saying, he's bad, he's bad, he's bad, he's bad, he's bad. He says that like 35 fucking times. So then Albie, he's like, okay, well, three. And then he just shoots him with an arrow (laughs) and the arrow lands in his face. So Ben was calling his bluff and it did not pay off for him. He's now got an arrow through his face. Says the long shaft of the arrow stuck from Ben's cheek. The blood surprisingly less than Thomas had expected. Okay, what's Thomas basing this off of? He doesn't have memory. And Albie goes, oh, well, come on. Baggers will take care of him tomorrow. And Thomas is like, what the hell just happened? What did I ever do to this kid? And then he looks up to ask Albie for like more questions because you know he loves questions, but Albie's already gone. He's like just shot a kid through the face and then he's like, oh well, back for another carrot sandwich. So then we pick back up with Thomas leaving the woods and he's staring up at the sun squinting because he's like, wow, it was so dark in that forest. And the image of Ben's head popped into his mind. Was he not just thinking about that for the past like five minutes walking out of the forest, but now it's just popped into his mind, the blood running down the shaft of the arrow until it collected drips splattered on the ground. And apparently that image was the last straw. That mental image of something that he saw in real life in person just three minutes earlier was the last straw. And so then he vomits. And then as if his brain were mocking him, trying to make it worse, he had a thought. He'd now been at the Glade, proper noun capital G, for roughly 24 hours, one full day. That was it. And look at all the things that had happened. All the terrible things. Surely it could only get better. Again, I don't think there was anything that terrible. I mean, this this latest incident, yeah, sure, terrible. But other than that, I mean, you had a few carrot sandwiches. Yeah, you're no longer the newbie. You got a fun little tour of a griever and saw a maze. Like, okay, oh, so many terrible things. Like, calm the fuck down, Thomas. So then that night, Thomas is lying trying to get to sleep. But the monstrous image of Ben leaping at him just kept him awake at night. I would have thought the image of the arrow through the cheek would have probably been more terrifying. But no, it's, it's the image of Ben leaping at him. And then it says, Thomas knew he'd never forget those few terrible minutes in the graveyard. Again, I, so much confidence for someone with memory loss. And so apparently Chuck is back to being annoying. And he says, say something for the fifth time since they'd set out their sleeping bags. Where do they store the sleeping bags during the day? What an odd setup. And Chuck says, everyone knows what happened. It's happened once or twice. Some grievous stung shank flipped out and attacked somebody. Don't think you're special. So apparently this happens all the time. (laughs) Would you not maybe like tie them to the bed while they're going through the changing or maybe like kill them or I don't know, like 
Or maybe like put them down if they're headed in that direction. I don't know. It happens all the time, but we have no game plan or backup plan to, you know, mitigate that. And then Thomas thought for the first time, Chuck's personality had gone from mildly irritating to intolerable. Oh my God, leave Chuck alone. And he says, Chuck, be glad I'm not holding Albie's bow right now. And Chuck's like, Jesus fucking Christ, are you just threatening to kill me? But I'm just playing around. And he goes, shut up, Chuck, go to sleep. Like far out, it's a 12 year old boy. You're like a 17 year old. Maybe you should just maybe not be best friends. It doesn't seem like you like him. So maybe get some space from him because you're lashing out and it's not cool. It's not cool on Chuck. Hashtag team Chuck. And so then (laughs) the narrator gets all shady and it says eventually his quote buddy end quote did doze off. Okay. I don't know why we need the air quotes to call Chuck a buddy. They're buddies. That's what he's said a million times. I don't know why, but apparently they're besties. And Thomas could not get to sleep. Everyone else is asleep. Everyone's snoozing and snoring, but he can't get to sleep. Until the next paragraph where it says he closed his eyes (laughs) and forced the thoughts and dark images away. And at some point he fell asleep. Oh, wow. Okay. Just went on and on for a whole paragraph about how he couldn't sleep. Next minute, he fell asleep. That's thrilling stuff. So the next morning, Chuck had to drag Thomas out of his sleeping bag and get him to the showers and drag him to the dressing rooms. And the whole time, Thomas felt mopey and indifferent. (laughs) What else is new? Breakfast was a blur and an hour after it was over, Thomas couldn't remember what he'd eaten. Probably, I don't know, scrambled carrots. Doesn't seem like they have other food. So then he's like ready to do his day job. So he's standing with Newt in front of the barn of the blood house, proper noun, capital B, capital H. And he's getting ready for his first training session with a keeper, proper noun, capital K. And despite the rough morning, he was actually excited to learn more and for the chance to get his mind off Ben and the graveyard. I mean, we did just hear that he was mopey and indifferent, but now he's excited. So, you know, cows are mooing, sheeps are bleeding, pigs are squealing, and then a dog barks and he goes, oh, wow, a dog. I wonder if Frypan uses the dog to make hot dogs. And it's like, well, obviously not since the dog's alive, but also what? You just said there's pigs and, and now you're thinking a dog will, will be in a hot dog? I don't understand. Are you turning into a zombie? Did the bite from Ben really destroy your brain? And then he's thinking hot dog. When was the last time I had a hot dog? And who did I eat it with? Like, oh my God, who cares? Like, I know you've got memory loss and maybe you don't remember the last time you had a hot dog with someone. But even if you didn't have memory loss and you weren't in a maze, is that really something that you'd think about and obsess over? And Newt is like, oh my God, Earth to Tommy. So he's getting called Tommy now, by the way. He's like, Tommy, are you even listening to me? And he's like, yes, yeah, sorry. I was thinking about hot dogs. And Newt goes, well, you were through the bug and ringer. You were. Probably think I'm a slint head shank for getting you ready to work your butt off today after an episode the likes of that. Why does he talk like this? And Thomas is like, yeah, work's probably the best thing I could do. Anything to get my mind off it. Your mind is off it. You were just thinking about hot dogs for a good 30 seconds. And Newt says, you're as smart as you look, Tommy. So, wait, is that a dig? Does Tommy look smart? Why are we calling him Tommy? Um, and then he goes, that's one of the reasons we run this place all nice and busy like. You get lazy, you get sad. Start giving up, plain and simple. Oh, so he was being genuine. He actually thinks that 
Tommy looks smart and is smart. Newt, you're in for a rude shock. (laughs) If you only knew what we knew. And so then Thomas asks, so what's the latest on that girl from yesterday? And it says, if anything had penetrated the haze of his long morning, it had been thoughts of her. Well, no, it had been thoughts of hot dogs. And he says he wanted to know more about her, understand the odd connection he felt to her. And Newt says, still in a coma, sleeping. Okay, those are different things. Being in a coma and just being asleep are two very different things. I don't know why we keep throwing the word coma around. And he says, Med Jack's a spoon feeding her whatever soup's fry pan can cook up, checking her vitals and such. How do they do that? What supplies do they have to check vitals? And then he goes, she seems okay. Just dead to the world for now. Okay, she seems okay. She's in a coma, but she's okay. I don't know where I come from. If you're in a coma, you're not okay. And Thomas is like, well, that's all very weird, isn't it? And he goes, yep, weird's as good as word as any aspect. So they don't have their own slang for the word weird. Okay, good to know. And so then Thomas says, okay, so what's first? Milk the cows or slaughter some poor little pigs? What? I think Thomas is a psycho. And Newt says, we always make the newbies, proper noun capital N, start with the bloody slices, proper noun capital S. Don't worry. Cutting up fry pans victuals ain't but a part. Slices do anything and everything dealing with the beasties. Okay, he can't say the word animals. He has to say beasties. But he knows the word victuals. Victuals. That's just part of his vocab. But he talks like he's a gangster from the 1920s. And Thomas says, too bad I can't remember my whole life. Maybe I love killing animals. Um... Maybe you are a serial killer. Maybe you were onto something and maybe Ben was onto something by wanting to kill you. And Newt's just like, okay, um, well, you'll figure it out eventually. Let's go meet Winston. He's the keeper. Proper noun, capital K. And so Winston, he's an acne covered kid, short but muscular. And it seemed like he liked the job way too much. And so then Thomas thinks maybe this Winston kid was actually a serial killer, even though he just said that he loved killing animals. Like, I think he was joking, but like, even so. So Winston's showing Thomas around all the animal pens. And then he points out the black Labrador named Bark. And Thomas asked Winston where the dog came from. And he said Bark had just always been there. And then it says, luckily he seemed to have gotten his name as a joke because he was pretty quiet, even though we heard him bark earlier. Remember he heard a dog bark and then he was thinking about hot dogs. That was Bark's fault. But Bark doesn't bark, except for when he barks. But he's been around forever. No one remembers when he got there, but someone's named him Bark, ironically. But who did that? Because no one remembers. This whole thing's a sham, isn't it? They're playing mind games with these boys. Whoever's downstairs is playing mind games. Naming a dog Bark, even though he doesn't bark, but he did bark. That's like a brain teaser. That's a puzzle. That's the true maze. Trying to understand that is the true maze of the book. So then the second hour of the day was spent cleaning up after the animals, the beasties, fixing a fence, scraping up clunk. And then Thomas is like, clunk. Thomas found himself using the glader terms more and more. Yeah, it catches on. I've been saying clunk all the time. In my everyday life, I'm just walking around saying clunk this, clunk that, clunk head. But then in the third hour of work, God, it's a busy day. Then he had to watch Winston slaughter a hog and begin preparing its many parts for future eating. Yuck. And so then Thomas, he swore two things to himself as he walked away for a lunch break. First, his career would not be with the animals, 
Second, he'd never again eat something that came out of a pig. I mean, he just told us earlier he didn't even remember what breakfast was, so I wouldn't trust him to actually become a vegetarian. And also he's swearing that his career would not be with the animals. We know, you want to be a runner. You've made that very clear. So Thomas is walking off to lunch by himself because Winston's still carving up the poor hog. And then it says, as he walked toward the east door, he couldn't stop picturing Winston in a dark corner of the barn, gnawing on raw pig's feet. The guy gave him the willies. I hope when he says picturing that he means like he's imagining it, not that it actually happened and he's remembering it because that's, that's fucking creepy. So then he's just passing the box and he's surprised to see someone enter the glade from the maze through the west door, which is to his left, getting all the directions. So then the runner stopped three steps inside the glade and then he's bent over, gasping for breath. And Thomas stared at him, doesn't go up to him and say, oh, you need a hand. He just just stares at him, overcome with curiosity. And it says he'd yet to see a runner up close or talk to one. That can't be true. He saw a runner up close just like three chapters ago when one ran past him. But he's like, huh, this runner is home early compared to the last few days. That's a bit interesting. So he steps forward, eager to go and ask this guy some questions. The guy's clearly out of breath. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to go and ask him some questions. Like, time and a place, Thomas. And before he could form a sentence, the boy collapsed to the ground. And that's the end of that chapter. I must say, when I started reading these three chapters, I was getting pretty worried that it would be super freaking boring. I was like, honestly, starting to nod off. I was like, I need a nap. But the whole zombie in the woods uh, trying to kill Thomas, that, that was a little bit exciting. His excursion to the slaughterhouse, not so much. That was really dreary and quite upsetting to read. I'd rather read about the zombie. But anyway, what are you guys thinking? Let me know and I'll see you guys next week for when we find out what's going on with this runner who's out of breath. And I I reckon Thomas is going to wake him up and ask questions. I've just got a hunch. Anyway, I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading.